I think that's the one thing that gets you through everything in life. You know, it's uh, always being confident. You know, don't worry about what it looks like or what it seems like. Uh, don't worry about, you know, the things you can't control, but always keep yourself confident. And I think for me, uh, you know, something sparked me in the paper one day. I read something, maybe, been, you know, we had a rough two games or something my junior year. I saw something in the paper where a writer had read, they wrote something like, hey, you know, the two guys running the football, yeah, they'll be in the NFL one day, but the quarterback I'm not so sure about and everything like that. And I was just like, see, this dude don't even know what's going on. Welcome to 90% Mental and the In and Out of the Pocket podcast series with all-pro quarterback Jake the Snake Plumber and mental performance coach Grant Parr, where the mental game is discussed and discovered by the best quarterbacks and offensive-minded professionals in the business. From overcoming adversity, celebrating mental wins, to actionable mental skills strategies, and more, you'll learn how to mentally navigate in and out of the pocket. Today in the pocket, Jake and Grant sit down with the former NFL quarterback Jason Campbell to talk about activating confidence, managing transition, and the importance of good coaching. Jason shares detailed moments of his 2004 season at Auburn University, where he led the Tigers to an undefeated season, the SEC Championship as MVP, and earned SEC Player of the Year. He credits these collegiate experiences and lessons in preparing him for the professional level. Ready List Sports is the future of sports playbooks with its digitized integration of multiple learning styles that helps coaches teach better and players learn more efficiently. Engineered by former professional quarterbacks, ReadyList Sports' revolutionary play drawing tool will save coaches countless hours creating plays. ReadyList Sports also provides the players accessibility to study their playbooks using the ReadyList Sports app for iOS and Android. It's like having the playbook in your pocket. The best part of ReadyList are the auto-generated tests the players take after studying that help ensure retention of your plays. Now let's all huddle up and go visit ReadyListSports.com. Welcome back to the In and Out of the Pocket podcast with Jake the Snake Plumber and myself, Grant Parr. We are super excited to bring the show just to talk about the mental game and bring on quarterbacks and offensive coordinators and quarterback coaches and head coaches to talk about the mental game. And Jake and I feel it's very important to bring on people to, to share their experiences and their thoughts about the mental game and how they got prepared, how they dealt with pressure and how they uh, focused and refocused. There's tons of topics that we can talk about. So we're really excited. Jake, how you doing today, man? I'm doing good, man. Just uh, thankful for technology and, and uh, the ability to socially distance myself yet still uh, stay in touch and talk to you, Grant, and talk to our awesome guest we have today to, uh, like you just said, figure out what drove them, what got them through their uh, you know, ups and downs in their lives on the field and off the field. And, and even in today's environment with uh you know quarantines and social distancing like 
how, how are you dealing with that? How are we dealing with that now? What's, what's the athlete do now to, to cope? So we're athletes. We, uh, we know how to get through uh, obstacles and, and all sorts of stuff. So this will be fun today to see what happens with this podcast. And I'm, I'm just happy to be here, man. I'm glad that I'm not sick and uh, my family's healthy and let's have a good one. All right. Well, let's get into it. Let's just uh, introduce our guest, uh, who I'm super excited and, and not only excited to have on the show, but I watched him uh, throughout his collegiate ex- um, years and also through his professional career. Uh, had a 14-year span in the professional ranks, and that is Jason Campbell. Jason, how are you, my man? Doing great, guys. Uh, you know, really can't complain. You know, everything that's going on in America, like Jake said, you know, we may be quarantined in our home, but as athletes, we're used to, you know, sometimes used to have to have social distance. Uh, you know, if you have a bad game or something, you're not out, you're not out in the city anyway. But, uh, you know, in all seriousness, though, like the training camp that we used to have, not the New Day training camp, but back when we were playing, you know, you're you're always gone for about four or five weeks. So you're used to being isolated uh, away from people. So, you know, it's a challenge. But at the same time, I think if everybody stick together, we can get through this. Absolutely. No, it's a great point, man. You know, we we were sequestered and taken away for uh, you'd say a couple, a few weeks or a month, but mostly the whole year. You know, you're basically inundated with playing ball and, and into it, and everything in your life is centered around the schedule you keep with the uh, lifting and treatment and study and play and games and all that. So, you had a, a great ten year run in the NFL, uh, Jason, and I wanted to know like you've retired and, and how is retirement treating you? How um, was the transition? Was it mentally tough to leave the game? And how did you, you know, deal with that big gap in your life that, that now um, you didn't have that, that NFL experience, the locker room, the guys and all that, how did you deal with it? And how are you dealing with it now? I tell you what, Jake, uh, the first year, first year was, uh, was probably the funnest year. um, I'd say because, you're so used to being, like you say, your schedule is so used to being locked in to where you have to be and and what time of the year you have to prepare and during the season, is it off season? But then when you had that first year, it's kind of like shell shocking because you have, have all this time on your hands and you're trying to feel out how to fill that space. And uh, and for me, it was spending time with family and, and friends. I haven't had the opportunity to be around, especially my little nephews. Uh, spending time watching them grow up and play ball and go to their little games and everything. And mm-hmm. it, it taught me a lot about life and uh, and everything. And, you know, yes, playing professional football is awesome and is great. But at the same time, you miss out on some of the things, you know, that bring you close together as a family. And, uh, you know, a lot of things I had to say no to, I was able to now be involved in. And, and the first year passed by so fast, but when the season came around for the next year after I retired, it was hard because I was used to being competitive. You know, you can start watching games and everything, and then you just get that adrenaline going, and you can remember the locker room talk before and after games, and 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 you're still a young man. You know, you're still in your mid-30s, and then you ask yourself, hey, did I make the right decision to walk away? You know, and I still had offers on the table. And uh, and at that time, you know, I think it's a spare-of-the-moment thing, but long-term, I think it was, I believe it's the right decision. It definitely was the right decision. Uh, I had peace about it because anything that I do, I have to do it wholeheartedly. If I'm not wholeheartedly in it anymore and I can't compete at a high level, uh, physically I probably could, but mentally if I was just drained from having to learn so many different offenses all the time, I probably could have played another four or five years. But 
And after 10 years, I would just drain because in college, I had a different offensive coordinator every year. And then the NFL, I had like six out of 10 years. And I was just tired of having to relearn, 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 and not just being able to just go out there and just play because you've already been in this offense for so many years. I feel you on that, man. It's uh, it's hard to learn all those offenses, but try uh, playing for the Arizona Cardinals for six years. You know, that was what took it out of me. Uh, yeah. We had a year, we had a good year my second year, and then they let everybody go. And now it's like all the pressure on me. And we spent four years just like battling to even compete. So that took a few years off. I mean, I got 10 years in, but I think had I had, I had a few uh, years out of Arizona, I might've played longer, but uh, it's right. hard to learn those offenses. I feel you, man. Mentally, it's a drag. Well, I was I was going to bring up about you know going back to Auburn when you had to deal with you know a different offensive coordinator every year. You know, and as a quarterback, you know, it, it's our job to to manage adversity and change. So, how did you deal with that, having a different offensive coordinator every year, and did that affect your mindset at all? Well, the one thing I try, I always try to stay positive about it. And uh, I didn't ever try to approach it in a negative mindset. Uh, I always used to tell myself, Jay, things happen for a reason, you know, because in life you're always going through changes. Uh, nothing's ever just uh, written in stone or stability and everything. So you're always constantly learning or doing something different. And for me, I always took a piece of the offense from the year before, every time a new coordinator came in, and I would try to piece some of it together with what, the new coordinator was doing, but also it's not just the plays, it's the wording. You know, some coaches are a number system. Some coaches are all about words. And so I would try to make them as similar as possible to help me learn it as quick as I could. So when the season came around, you know, you're not in the middle of the game and trying to guess what your progressions are. You know, you're kind of, you're kind of knowing, you're kind of trying to let your gut instinct just take over a lot of times. So, for me, it was spending a lot of countless hours uh, in the film room and, you know, doing a lot of studying. And, and people don't really appreciate, you know, when they don't have to learn all this new offense. You look at a lot of the quarterbacks that are still playing now, how they've been tied to the hip with their offense coordinators or head coaches for so long. That's a difference maker because you can go into the offseason familiarity. Like, you can go there, you know exactly what y'all going to be doing in the offseason, exactly what – so instead of you going back, and starting over and just learning the basis of the playbook, now you're already into the depths of the playbook. You're past phase one, phase two, and phase three. Like Now you're going to the line of scrimmage in OTAs, and you already know, okay, I'm audible in this because you already seen the defense versus that play. You know what works and doesn't work. So you know what play to get into because you've been with this offense coordinator so long that y'all think alike, and then you become alike. So – that's the difference between the guys that had these long Hall of Fame careers and, you know, and the other guys that have to go through change all the time, like Jake say. Sometimes it's just about where you're drafted at and where you are and where you play at. Like for him, you know, I had to play in Arizona. You know, for me, I got drafted to Washington. You know, when Joe Gibbs there the first couple of years, it was cool. But then when Joe left, it seemed like all chaos just broke loose, you know, because <laughs> Joe could hold everyone accountable. <laughs> but when Joe Gibbs left and then, you know, Jim Zorn come in, you know, I feel bad for him because his hands was tied. Because, you know, Dane Snyder, you know, was pretty much running everything and, uh, and making all the decisions. And, and whether if it was right or wrong, it was what he said went. And, uh, you know, that's not the way you do things when you're trying to win as a team. And I think that just drained me a lot. You know, and I played for Cleveland one year. and We was kind of doing really good that year. And then all of a sudden they broke everything up at the end of the year. So it was just draining. When you go to some of these organizations, you wonder why they don't win consistently because 
from the top down is not consistently ran correctly. And I think that's the thing that happens. And, you know, unfortunately, you get played and play on some bad teams and, 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 and it can wipe you out a little bit. So, so speaking about all the different teams you were on, different coaches you played for, I mean, you went through a lot of them. You played for a lot of different teams, not only in the NFL, but your OCs in college. All coaches, you know, they coach pretty much the same, but a lot of them have different styles. And if you could go back and think through your coaches you were coached by, or, or I should say taught by, um, which coaches stand out in your mind? Uh, why did you have a connection with them? And why are they some of your you know, favorite coaches as you look back and reflect on your, your career? Yeah, and I go back to college, I always think of, uh, you know, Al Borges. Uh, you know, he's coach at UCLA, at Cayman Down in UCLA. And then he mm-hmm. came to Auburn, and I had him at Auburn. And, uh, you know, Coach Borges was huge to me because he didn't try to change me. He came in and just said, you're as talented as you need to be. We just got to work on putting you in a situation so that your talents can be seen and shown. And uh, he said, not just for you, he said for the whole offense. He said, you guys have yeah. so much talent, but y'all all been put in a box. And he said, my job is to come in and let your talents be seen and not just make it feel like, oh, we just are a running team or just, uh, you know, we throw them certain down. He said, no, we're going to do everything. He said, because, you know, you came out of high school, you was recruited to do things at a certain level. And they're not allowing you to do that. So he came to Auburn, man. I, I going to my senior year. Bob Petrino, my second year, he did a good job as well. He took the head coaching job going to Louisville. But when Borges came in, man, everyone on the offense, at least eight of us went to the NFL because all the receivers, all the running backs, and myself, and we had like two or three offensive linemen, so probably more than that. Probably the whole offense went to the NFL. And, uh, and the thing is, he made everybody buy in. And the reason he made us buy in because everyone got a chance to get involved in the game. No one was just a doormat. Everyone was, was, was playing. Everyone meant everyone was important. And, uh, and it changed the whole mindset and attitude of our team. We went undefeated that year. And, uh, you know, we felt like no one could beat us because everyone was completely bought in. And then in the NFL, uh, you know, Al Saunders was the guy that I had a lot of respect for. Uh, you know, Al Saunders, you know, he had the huge playbook, but at the same time, like, he always treated you like a father figure. Uh, and he always talked about football, but he, he talked about life a lot. Uh, Coach Gills used to also always a big influence in my life. I used to always say, guys, it's a privilege to be able to play football. You could be somewhere, you know, not saying anything bad about someone that works on the railroad track, but he's saying you could be doing that for 12 hours a day. And he said, yeah. you may not love doing what you're doing. He said, you get a chance to play football for a living and put food on the table for your family, and you love to do what you do. He said, how many people get a chance to come to work and do what they actually love to do on a day-to-day basis? And he said, so don't take it for granted, the opportunity that you have. And uh, so you know, those three guys made huge influences in my life. Uh, so I had Hugh Jackson uh, for two years out in Oakland. We had a really good span together. Uh, fortunately, it was broken up. Um, and everything, but at the same time, I feel like we was changing Oakland, and uh, and we was putting that fire back into the Raider organization, and the fire back into winning, and uh, we had a young team, and fortunately, everything just kind of broke up after injuring myself, injuring McFadden, and then the trades and everything, but I learned a lot that the NFL is all about a business, and you have to approach it that way, but, um, you know, but those, the learning, but having great coaches, man, it's hard to find. 
You know, Jason, you brought up success, uh, especially yeah, at Auburn, and you know you experienced a lot of success. You earned a lot of MVPs. You know, you were the Music City Bowl uh, MVP in two thousand three. You were the MVP for the Sugar Bowl in two thousand five. And you stated earlier, you know, your senior year, you led your team to an undefeated season. Uh, undefeated season, you were MVP of the SEC game and won. You were Offense Player of the Year. I mean, you were experiencing a lot of goodness, if you will, that year. If you were to contribute one thing that allowed you to experience all that success, what would that be? Uh, I think never losing your self-confidence. You know, uh, I think that's the one thing that gets you through everything in life. You know, it's uh, always being confident. You know, don't worry about what it looks like or what it seems like. Uh, don't worry about, you know, the things you can't control, but always keep yourself confident. And I think for me, uh, you know, something sparked me in the paper one day. I read something. Maybe been, you know, we had a rough two games or something my junior year. I saw something in the paper where right there at Reds, they wrote something like, hey, you know, the two guys running the football, yeah, they'll be in the NFL one day, but the quarterback I'm not so sure about and everything like that. And I was just like, see, this dude don't even know what's going on. I was just like, <laughs> he has no idea about it. He doesn't sit in our beating room. He doesn't watch the film. He doesn't, you know, like, if you're getting hit left and right, still the quarterback's fault. You know, you just, you just learn to just have thick skin. And you just learn to just block things out and not worry about what the outside has to say, per se, but worry about what's controlled within the team because your teammates, they know. We all watch the same film and uh, and everything. But the goal was to stay confident no matter what. And when there's a storm, stay confident because they don't always last and, uh, and everything. So for me, if I had to tell any kid or any person, is no matter what you're going through in life, don't ever doubt yourself or lose your self-confidence because that's what's going to reward you as long as you keep that. So when you bring up confidence, what are some of the things that, like, a lot of athletes out there, they wait for something good to happen to feel confident. And, and confidence is, is a feeling for sure. But, you know, when I'm working with athletes, I talk about it, you, it's, you have to act into it first before you can actually feel it. So when you talk about your confidence, you know, what are some of the things that you did to actually to lock in that confidence? Yeah, I always tell my nephew, you know, who's going off to college, uh, you know, after this year, uh, I had a chance to coach him this year in senior year. Uh, I would tell him, I said, dude, I said, your action speaks so loud, I can hardly hear what you're saying. And he was like, what you talking about? And I said, <laughs> I said, I said, you say so much, I like, but you do so little. And he like, what you mean? I said, I don't see the work ethic. I said, when I said, your work ethic should do more talking than what you're saying. And I said, once you start to do that, then I start to believe in you. And I start to believe that you get it. I said, because you know, we live in a society now where everyone based their confidence or based their, their net worth or based their worth off how many likes they get on social media or how many, you know, people, you know, watching them from the day-to-day -day basis. I said, man, it's about what you do when no one's watching. It's the key to your success. I said, it's, it's not about what you're doing when everybody's, you know, eyeing you down and, uh, and everything. So I think what helped me was my father. Uh, you know, growing up, my dad was a coach. Uh, you know, coached me through high school, coached me, uh, you know, even in college, you know, when I'm, when I'm home or whatever. He always kept me, like, level-headed and didn't let things get too big for me. Even when I was in the pros, I can always go around my parents, and they was always going to humble you, you know, because they knew the real you. 
and uh and everything i think having great parents uh i think helped me with my success and helped me with my confidence because you know having to fight for everything growing up you know and not being handed anything i think what gave me uh, self-confidence when i was able to reach those big cities and be able to play in those nfl games and everything and then being able to know that there's kids that's falling behind me that's looking up to me uh and everything seeing how I approach situations or how I approach, you know, playing on that level, I feel like I had a standard to uphold. And uh, so it wasn't easy for me just to say, I'm done, I fold, I give up. Because too many people I felt like was dependent on me, whether it was hopes and dreams of the younger kids behind me or whether it's just my family. You speak a little, uh, very well said on, on a lot of fronts there with confidence and your parents. And, you know, parents are obviously role models for everybody. They should be, hopefully. Um, but as you could, can you speak a little on just your role models or someone that you really looked up to, uh, when you were growing up and then, you know, the traits that they had that you all, you tried to exhibit yourself. Yeah, I'd probably say, uh, you know, when I was growing up, I used to, you know, look at my older brother, you know, one of them, <laughs> just because any kid that has an older brother always, you know, mm-hmm. no matter if he's bullying you or <laughs> whether he's challenging you out in the yard. You know, I always looked up to him because those guys were always winning uh, and everything. So they won state championships in high school. I feel like my class has to do the same thing. I feel like we always have to we always have to keep up the tradition and keep up what was going. And then as I continue to get older, I used to look at guys like, you know, Doug Williams and Randall Cunningham. And, uh, you know, Steve Manero was the guy that I watched a lot when I was growing up because we grew up maybe 15 miles apart. And uh, so my brother was playing against them in high school. And, uh, you know, he was legendary in high school and he was legendary in college. So, you know, the kid in Mississippi growing up, you hear about him, you know, all the time. And then uh, to see him get drafted three overall to Tennessee and, and I mean, Houston Oilers at that time, then they went to Tennessee, um, you know, was, uh, was big because that gave me so much hope. And then my senior year in high school, I got a chance to train with Brett Favre's trainer in Hattiesburg, Mississippi in the off season before my senior season. And I remember Brett was there <laughs> and Brett was throwing balls so hard that the trainer pointed and showed me his hands afterwards and literally like his hands was almost bleeding because he was trying to catch <laughs> Brett's balls. And I was like, dude, won't you put on some gloves? He's like, that don't matter. <laughs> I was there watching Favre and the Favre would come over and talk to me and give me some confidence and words of encouragement and, uh, and then we kind of developed a relationship where he would check in with me every now and then. And, uh, and that meant a lot to me. So, you know, I was fortunate enough to grow up around guys like that, that, uh, you know, that played in Mississippi, especially Favre and, uh, and, and Steve in there. And then I was the third one to come out of there uh, at, the, at that position. And then when you just think back to those type of guys, you know, I could, I could, I knew I could do it at that point because, the familiarity with her. These guys come from small towns just like I came from, you know, back of the woods, like dirt roads, and, you know, we just, you know, so I said, all right, they can make it. I said, all right, I know I can make it. So, so uh, you know, it's, just, it's like that, which gave me a lot of, uh, a lot of confidence. Speaking of making it, can we go back to that day uh, on in 2005 when you got drafted in the first round by the Redskins? Like, what did you feel like when you got drafted in the first round? And then I can only imagine, you know, being drafted in the first round, there's all this pressure and all these expectations that are tied with that, that success and that label. 
How did you deal with the pressure? Yeah. Uh, actually, Coach Gibbs, when I came down and uh, I actually met with me a couple of days before the draft, they told me that if I was still there at 25, they was taking me. So that kind of released a lot of pressure. But then at the same time, you're hey, like, Jay, this is a business. You can't believe everything. <laughs> but I was just like, but they were so intrigued about it that I kind of felt like, okay, it's going to happen. So on draft day, I almost went a couple of picks before them. Uh, I received a phone call, and they was trying to decide they were going to take a quarterback at the time and uh, and everything. But I ended up, you know, going to the Redskins. And, uh, and everything was great, though. Like I said, D.C. meant a lot to me. I enjoy my days in D.C. It's a great place to live. And uh, I got a chance to play for a legendary coach store right off the bat. You know, and that's not often that you get a chance to do that. And, uh, and I remember getting to Washington. Like I said, my first time really, you know, flying on a private plane was Dan Schneider picked, picked my family and myself up. And uh, then he picked up Carlos Rodgers and his family. And so we're flying this private jet. And I'm sitting there looking around like, man, I can get used to this. You know, just <laughs> TVs and couches and you know, someone bring you beverages and food all the time and you're not having to check in or anything. I was like, man, this is the life. <laughs> so quickly surely that that didn't last long. <laughs> once you got the once you got there you really figured out you'd buy your own ticket from that point on and you fly commercial buddy. <laughs> so uh, so feel nice feel nice to dream. <laughs> right, right. It's a nice little dream. So I remember my first time I got to to Washington and and we supposed to been starting our, our rookie mini camp. So the night before, I went to McDonald's, and it was probably like ten o'clock, ten thirty at night. And I get back to the back to the apartment, and everything they had put us up in, and I just wasn't feeling right, man. My stomach was just bubbling, my everything was just going crazy. I was just like, I was roommate with my my college teammate Carlos, who was drafted to the same team, and he like, dude, what's wrong with you? I said, man, I don't know. I said, I said, I got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> I go to the bathroom. And I just started throwing up just left and right. Like every 20 minutes, I'm just getting up, running to the bathroom, throwing up. And I just threw up so much, it just started to hurt. So then they ended up calling the trainer. So the trainer, like, would you try to come in as early as possible in the morning? So I go in that morning, I'm just pale. I've been throwing up so much. It's like, like, geez, dude, you was that nervous, that scared? I said, no. Nah. I said, it ain't got nothing to do with that. I said, somebody must have been mad. Y'all picked me because they food poison being at McDonald's. So kind of find out it was uh I had food poisoning so I ended up missing pretty much the rookie camp. <laughs> so I ended up coming back uh, for the for the mini camp the next weekend. But uh so say my career started off with a bang. It started off with a bang and uh, and, I, and McDonald's owes me for that. <laughs> McDonald's man, that's uh Probably don't even go near that place now. I don't. Uh, yeah, right, right. Right now, if I forget, I don't even go there. But <laughs> no way, man. Uh, so, so today, today there's some crazy stuff happening, and uh, you know, when this when this podcast airs, it may be down the road a little ways or whatever. But the the coronavirus is going off, going crazy. Um, and and you know, we're talking mindset, QBs, and all this, and athletes, and we've been through a lot of obstacles. We've been through a lot of ups and downs. Uh, we've been sequestered and kept away during camp and, you know, basically for the whole season, you're not really allowed to see many people or do much other than football, but now they're asking for social distancing. But speaking of food poisoning and now the fact that everybody that, you know, is used to like ordering food or going out to eat all the time 
they're still allowing restaurants to make food and have it delivered to Uber Eats or here in Colorado, it's Hungry Buffs, whatever you got, they're allowing you to, 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 to get food from the restaurant. So here, here's a little out-of-the-pocket question. Are you worried that they've got us now all sequestered and we're all quarantined and now people are ordering food from all these restaurants? Now, what if the restaurants were sprinkling some like weird psychological <laughs> drug on there that's making us all become like robots? Are you scared of that? <laughs> uh, Jay, you know, that's a good point. Uh, you know, that's a good point. I don't really take my food secondary from people. Uh, you know, I know a lot okay. of people do the Uber Eats and everything, but I've never been that type of guy just because we've been in a locker room with guys and we know how some of our teammates can be, you know, like just want to play around sometime and mess with your food and all that type of stuff. So I've just always haven't been a very trustworthy people, something I couldn't like just go pick up or I'll go order and see them bring it directly to me. But I guess right now we all got to live, live by faith. And, uh, and what I mean by that is, you know, a lot of things right now, we don't know what's going on or what's going to happen, but by faith, I know we're all going to get through it and uh, and we'll be better from it. But at the same time, though, it is hard on small businesses. I got a couple of friends that own restaurants and, you know, right now they're like, man, I'm going through it. And, uh, you know, you feel sorry for them because you don't know if they're going to be able to recover. You know, I know they're supposed to be getting a little help from the government, but that little help is still not suppressed to the amount that they, they was going to be making. Um, they've already lost out on 70% of their intel that they would be getting at this time of the month, and especially yesterday being St. Patrick's Day, which is like a huge oh, day. Yeah. Uh, they missed out big time. And uh, so, you know, it's just things like that. You start to think about, you know, people that have these small businesses and, and everything, people that, you know, like their, their family-owned restaurants. So they depend on people coming into those restaurants month to month. So I would hope that people still support uh, some of these local restaurants and everything and go out and, and still order food from them and pick it up, you know, at the window and, and just have trust that, you know, the right thing is going to be taken care of, that they're not going to be doing anything, you know, illegally or anything like that because <laughs> it's simple fact that, you know, we're all trying to survive, you know, together yeah. and, uh, and everything. So hopefully, you know, I think they will appreciate it because the way I talked to my buddy and he was like, man, I would just be so happy if people just pull up and, and I would give them 10% off their wings or whatever. They just order even more, more pizzas or, or just more food and everything because, and the other thing is Jake and Grant is if you're in a college town right now and you're based off getting the students usually coming to your restaurant and ordering food, there's no students on campus right now. And when there's no students on campus and you're talking about for a long period of time, usually still there's summer school, but now like there's no school. So then there's yeah. also families in the quarantine. So now you're these small businesses, you're really getting hit hard because you don't even have the college kids coming and then you don't even have the parents really getting out. So hopefully, you know, people, like I said, still go to some of these drive-throughs and everything and, and help support these businesses and through this hard time and everything because it is tough. It's tough for everyone. A lot of people had to come out of their comfort zone. And then for some, it's making you been haven't been home for a long time to spend with your kids so you're always on the road working. And now you're forced to be at home with your wife and your children and vice versa uh, because of this. 
So maybe hopefully this is a time for you to to reminisce on on what it is to be a family and a close family and things you've yeah. been missing out with your kids that now you can see like, man, I've been missing this with my kids. I need to find a way to be around them more. Or if it's a a, a marriage or something, you're so used to being gone from each other because of work. And now you realize like our marriage is more important than just always being gone for work, you know? So there's a lot of things that people can sit back right now and reminisce about like what can we do better uh, from a family standpoint and then from a, a worldly standpoint of supporting each other and respecting each other and, uh, and everything and finding out why do we find ourselves in this situation? Like how did this come about? And why did it come about? And uh, uh, you know, that was a question that you don't really hear on TV. Like, why did this happen or why did it come about and what's the reason behind it? Because everything that happens there, there is a reason. And, 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 you know, and, you know, have we been a world that's just forgotten about respecting one another? Have we just been a world, a country that's just forgotten about, you know, the dignity and integrity of things and maybe, you know, God is trying to get our attention or maybe, you know, this is something that, uh, that's suppressing us. And to make us have to work and do things that we've all lost count of and, and just lost the thought of what's more important in life. Man, you were you brought up a lot of lot of great aspects and and a different way of looking at this, you know. And and I think we've all you know through this time, um, you know, we've all reflected in our own way. And and I've always said this throughout my life that you know where there's a crisis, there's an opportunity. And I know right now there's there's small businesses out there. I'm a small business, um, and my business is you know is is pretty much on pause right now. But I don't know if it's the quarterback in me um, in dealing with adversity. But I, I know there's going to be a good thing in the future for me uh, coming from this. And 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 honestly, I feel right now as 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 a world, like for some reason I feel like we're we're the most connected because we're all dealing with this. Um, you know, some countries and some states, you know, it's a little bit different, but we're all dealing with this and we're all pausing. And um, I don't know, I, I feel like there's going to be a lot of, like when you think about the crisis and opportunity, man, this is where people, um, like you said, like this is where we reconnect with people. This is where we reconnect with ourselves, write music, read more, listen to podcasts like this, um, and just do some self-discovery. And I think if we all connect with that, I think there's going to be some some great opportunities that come out of this crisis. No doubt. You're, you're right, Grant. You're right. You know, a great opportunity to come out of this podcast is to find out a little bit more about you, Jason, and uh, how you think outside of the game. Uh, we got some good insight on how you got through your career, growing up, role models and all that. But now out of the pocket is what I like to go when the pocket breaks down as you had some skills scrambling around making a play. That's what I like to do. So, these questions are coming off the cuff, just random. They don't know where they're going to go, but answer them as quickly as you can because we're getting near the end of this awesome podcast. So here we go. What's your What was your favorite toy growing up? Oh man, favorite toy was uh, was Superman. <laughs> All right, action figure. <laughs> action figure, Denzel uh, Washington. Anything. I got you, man. Superman. Right on. All right. What was your favorite cereal and still maybe your favorite cereal? Oh, man. My favorite cereal growing up was uh, Kellogg Corn Flakes. Oh, all right. <laughs> and then what about your favorite athlete of all time? Hands down, your favorite athlete ever. Oh, hands down. Favorite athlete ever. Uh, Michael Jordan. 
Ah, man. Wow. Pretty nice. Dude. I thought you might go with Bo Jackson, maybe, just because of the, <laughs> you know, all the connections there. But um, here's my last one real quick. Well, I got a couple more. Hold on. So well, I'm going to go back so, to the uh, My first one uh, wasn't Superman. I just thought about it. It was uh, Michelangelo, Ninja Turtles. Oh. Ooh. Oh, yeah. All right. <laughs> I forgot cool. about that one. I, I got you. More than anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Here's one for you for today's uh, athlete that is real concerned about health and, and what you eat. Are you more into like tofu or a T bone? Ooh. You know what? I'm probably more towards tofu now, but I still got to have a T bone steak once every two weeks. <laughs> yes, sir. All right. How about this? Did you challenge some corned beef and cabbage yes, yesterday with it being St. Patty's Day? Actually, home alone, cooking, uh, eating out of a box. Hey, <laughs> 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 shrimp, rice, and chicken out of a box, one of those prepaid meals. <laughs> All right. All right. And my last one, my last one here is that it shows you on Wikipedia of all places that you ran a 471 at the Combine. Now, were you actually faster than that on the field when some of them crazy-ass beasts were chasing you? Yes, I was faster than that. And, uh, Jake, they forgot to say that on my pro day, <laughs> I ran like a four. I ran a four sixes somewhere. So Ah, there we go. I don't know where to – yeah, they keep saying four seven one, but but, Jake, I was never caught, though. <laughs> Not from behind. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're talking the side, but never behind. So, you know. Got you. Yeah, you know. I love it. I love it. Those are, it's all I got out of the pocket, Grant. Well, I have I have <laughs> one one here uh, out of the pocket question, and then we'll we'll close up here. And and I love asking this question because uh, Jake and myself and a few other guests on the show we've we've talked about this question a lot. You know, now that we've moved on from the game. Um, and we dream, all of us dream. Have you? Is there a reoccurring dream or some weird ass dreams that mm-hmm. pop up about your career, like you know, forgetting the play or some kind of fear that comes up, you know, playing the game of football? Has that ever came up for you? Yeah, I still have crazy dreams sometimes about <laughs> you know about just being in crazy games. Um, you know, and sometimes, uh, you know, it seems like you always remember the, the tough losses. And sometimes I would have dreams about some of those tough losses and what you could have done differently to turn them into to tough victories. Or, you know, the one that got away that we'd have won that game, we'd have been SEC champs in 2002. Or, you know, just even at the pro level, you probably, man, had you won that game, how it would have affected the whole season and contract talk and everything. So, it's almost like you remember those things because of the athlete. It just it don't ever leave you. And um, like you had some big, great victories, but it's not those that I dream about the most. It's always the ones that got away. Big time. Big time. Well, Jason, man, thank you so much for, for being on our show today and, and sharing your mindset and your journey and your thoughts on all different all these different types of topics, man. We, we really appreciate your energy. I appreciate it, guys. And uh, like I say, I'll stay safe, and uh, it's a pleasure to come on. Yeah, thank you, Jason. I appreciate you, man. Enjoyed watching your career. And, uh, you know, it, uh, it was actually an experience, your playing days. Now uh, keep keep doing big things, good things. And uh, thanks for coming on In and Out of the Pocket today. It was awesome having you as a guest. 